baptisms last year, we need revival. Our ministry's main statement is the only thing that will change this world is the passionate preaching of the Word of God. So for the next hour, join us for some passionate, powerful preaching. Join us as we discuss topics related to the church, revival, and the Word of God. Join us as we help the world revive the passion of preaching. Praise and worship is when the man of God graces the holy desk and with the anointing of the Holy Ghost preaches without fear or favor and the power of Jesus falls on him and he preaches this word not caring what anybody thinks but the Holy Spirit and the living God. If preaching won't do it, there is no better method. Powerful preaching. Preacher, I want to tell you something. I want you to take this book cover to cover, and I want you to quit camouflaging the gospel and trying to please this generation that's watering you down. But I want you to say so. You believe in hell and heaven and sin and righteousness and conversion and miracles and the power of the living God? Don't you try to disguise it to please some pseudo-intellectual. You just say so. Say so. Say so. Hey there, I'm Josh Spears, Director of Reviving the Passion of Preaching Ministries. I hope you're enjoying this second season of our podcast episodes. Today, I'm interviewing Pastor Paul Roney on this subject, Ministering to Those Going Home, a look at hospice ministry. Brother Paul has been in the ministry for over 40 years, and for a few of those years, he worked in hospice ministry. Today, he shares with us some of his experiences and advice concerning ministering to those who are preparing to go to heaven soon. And I pray this episode will be an encouragement to anyone who is ministering to someone dealing with this situation. I hope you'll check out all of our previous podcast episodes. There is something in there for everyone. We just want to be an encouragement and blessing to any preacher and any Christian as we help the world revive the passion of preaching. Please check out our website. That's www.revivingthepassion.com. Again, that's www.revivingthepassion.com. On there, you'll be able to keep up with the things going on in this ministry. And also, you'll be able to check out our ministry Facebook page. Please like us on Facebook. We would be so honored if you'd do that. And also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And you can find links to all these pages on our website. Please continue to share these podcast episodes with others. We just want to be a blessing to as many people as possible. And I pray you'll enjoy today's interview, Ministering to Those Going Home. Here's Brother Paul Roney. Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, hospice ministry, helping those uh, going home. Uh, Brother Paul, uh, won't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you been in the ministry? Oh, I've been... Uh preaching since I was 15, I'll be four, uh, 63 this year, so what's that, almost 47 years, something like that, I don't know, Yeah, amen. I'm not good at math, uh, <laughs> we can talk Bible all day long, but don't get me trying to do no math, I, uh, I serve churches in Louisiana, and, and then over here in Mississippi also now, but I've uh, been preaching since I was 15, I served in, Louis in Louisiana, and uh, Alexandria for the last uh, 15 years of my ministry over there and then I've been here in Hattiesburg for the last nine years. And how long have you been in hospice ministry? 
Hospice ministry, I've been in for five years. This November will be five years. Five years. Amen. Has it been rewarding? To me, it has been very rewarding. I've, I've enjoyed, I meet a lot of different people, a lot of different families, families with all kind of perspectives, uh, families who are dealing with all kind of stuff, not just not just the, the sick patient death stuff, but, you know, just the fa family dynamics. Some families can't get along. Some families can't get along enough. And, you know, it's just, it's been very rewarding to be able to meet so many different people and be able to help them some. Amen. Well, you put a thing on Facebook a while back on your personal page and, at, you know, said share a name and you would tell how we, how they first met and things. I put my name there and you said uh, you didn't remember when we first met. And I, I don't remember either. Yeah. Uh, but Brother Paul has been my dear friend. He uh, loves the Lord, loves helping other preachers. What is hospice ministry? And also, uh, explain what hospice chaplains do. Uh, hospice care provides ca compassionate care for uh, people in the last phases of a, a life-limiting illness. Uh, many who have decided not to continue with treatment. Um, it's, it's palliative care where we go in and, and we try to do our best just to make the patient as comfortable as we can. Uh, all kind of services uh, from the nurses to the aides that go in and help the family with cleaning the patient and all that stuff. But um, uh, our, our main purpose is to keep that patient as comfortable as possible in these final days. Yes, sir. And you've been a hospice chaplain for five years, for five you said. Years. Uh, are there any biblical examples of hospice ministry? I think one of the I think one of the greatest biblical ministry uh, examples in uh, in Scripture is the uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay. You know when uh, uh, the Lord shared that uh, that parable there in, in Luke chapter ten, um, where we see that Samaritan come alongside someone that needed help, and um, not really knowing them and and, and and everything, having never met them that. Samaritan came along and, and took that person, and uh, as we know, you know, Jesus said he took him into the to the inn, and there he asked the innkeeper to take care of him, do whatever needed to be done to, to help him get back to uh, to wellness, and then um, uh, when he come back, he would take care of the bill and everything, and and that's basically what what we do with hospice. We we go into these homes with these patients and these families, and and. Um, we do we do whatever we can do whatever we need to do to uh, to try to make that patient's life as as valued as possible in the in the end um, uh, I, I, I tell folks all the time that I think sometimes we get so focused on the patient that we forget about the family but I think that uh, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed is is not only getting to know the patient, but also spending time with the family and being able to help them through, through all of this, talking with them and, and loving on them and praying, praying for them. Amen. Um, if you're just tuning in, we are talking to Pastor Paul Roney. Uh, topic tonight: helping those going home. A, a Christian look at hospice ministry. Um, are there any biblical commands to the church or direction concerning hospice ministry? I think, Josh, I, I believe the Bible, um, uh, I think the Bible has a lot to say about end-of-life decisions. Um, 
Now, whether we say that's a command or a directive toward toward hospice ministry, I you know I, I don't know. Uh, there's several things. You know, uh, as Christians, we we have developed a concept of life and death and understand what we know about life and death from Scripture. Uh, we we um, uh, we understand that um, that when God created humans, He created them out of the dust of the earth. And then scripture says in Genesis, he says he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life and that body became a living soul, a living spirit. And so we understand and know that the concept of human life is a body and a soul. Uh, and, and so um, we understand that um, there's going to come a day, unless Christ raptures the church first, there's going to come a day where where every person is going to face death. and. The Bible teaches us that, that death is the separation of the body and the soul. And, and so um, I, I, think there's, I think there's several, several uh, implications in Scripture about making those life-ending decisions, um, you know, whether it's a, a spiritual decision, whether it's a financial decision. You know, when you, when you, when you get to the place where, where the doctor or the hospital says, look, I think it's time for us to... To utilize hospice, that um, you begin to think, you know, uh, that means that well, you know, life is about to come to an end for my mom, my dad, my whoever, and so you begin to think about everything that has to be done to make preparation uh, for the end of that life, um, and and so with the patients and the families, I I, I think when when hospice goes in. Uh, when when someone is is um, is recommended to to us to our hospice, the one that I work with, uh, we have individuals that go into the home or go to the hospital or go to the nursing center, or whatever, and they sit down and talk with them about hospice care and what what uh, what we can do for them and uh, how we can help make the the rest of the life the 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 other the rest of the time that the patient has. As, as qualitative as, as qualitative as possible, um, you know we we've got um, you know, there's 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 hospice patients that that are bed bound they can't get out of bed there's hospice patients that um, uh, they never know you're there they 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 never uh, they never met you I had a hospice patient just recently that uh, um, that I went to see on on one day and two days later you know the Lord had called him home great thing is that, that he was a Christian he was a believer from the testimony of his wife and so uh, uh, you know I don't I don't really know that there's any real directives or commands but I think there's plenty of implications about life ended decisions that that we especially as Christians uh, need to look at and begin to formulate you know what are we going to do when we get to this point in our lives with our family and our friends mm -hmm. well you, you know I I know several times in, in the Bible we see that we're to help the fatherless and the widow. Right. You, you know, right. uh, help those that are alive. And I, well, I, we also see that several times where uh, people were about to die, and uh, the Bible says friends or family were gathered up by them and ministering to them. And so I, I think you're right. I don't know. I don't know of a necessarily directive, right. but I, I I would probably I think you agree with me that we're encouraged to absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think I think the scripture is is full of uh, implications for us as Christians 
uh, to reach out in time of it. I think one of the greatest things that we suffer in America is the fact that the church has relinquished our responsibility to be there to meet the needs and to help the families. And we've let Social Security and other these other welfare programs come in and take over that. And, and we've just backed away and pulled away from it. And then I think that's a sad thing for, for the church. Yes, sir. I, 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 let, let's go there. Uh, you, you know, I, I, really, I really believe that, that it's, it's Christians, it's the church that's supposed to help yeah. with social issues. I do too. I do too. Uh, it, it's not the government. Uh, uh, I, I'm reminded about uh, pastors that had said they would go down to the judges and ask them, uh, give me your delinquent teenagers. Uh, you, you know, let, let me help them. And, and they'd go put them to work. Uh, building something, helping people in yeah. the community, and it would change those kids' lives. Sure it would. Sure and, and, you know, we don't see that today, but the church is missing its responsibilities. Absolutely. I, th I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. That, uh, Like I said, you know, when the government came along and began to give away all these, these freebies, uh, you know, folks didn't see a, a need to come to the church for help anymore because... You know, the government will give me everything I need to, to survive in this life. So I agree with you. I think um, uh, I think we've done an injustice uh, to our communities and, and, and to our, our states um, by relinquishing that responsibility. Yes, sir, I agree too. How can pastors uh, and churches who are not involved in hospice ministry, per se, help or be involved in hospice ministry or help someone who is nearing death? Josh, I believe that every pastor becomes a hospice chaplain when they are regularly visiting a family whose loved one is, is on the verge of dying. Now, you, you may not consider yourself a hospice pastor, uh, hospice chaplain pastors, but, but I do believe that the reality is that a lot of what I do as a hospice chaplain is, is really no different than what I do as a pastor. I, I go and visit. I uh, I see what needs that can that I can meet, what I can do for the family. I pray for them. I share scripture with them. I encourage them. Um, you know, and, and so um, I, I think that every pastor becomes a hospice chaplain uh, during during those ending days, those last days of church members. Now, with churches, you know. Uh, Used to be a day. I don't. I don't think it's much anymore as it used to be. I know there's still some churches that do, but used to be a day when when a family was going through something, um, patient at home dying, mama or wife or husband or somebody there taking care of the patient. Uh, church members would regularly come by and bring meal, uh, you know, meals or food or. Or a patient, a church member would come by and, and help clean the house, or or do whatever needed to be done, and and and, and that's uh, that's really hospice care. Uh, we have we have aides um, that go in, and, and those aides will uh, they'll basically do what really whatever needs to be done. Their main focus is on is on making sure the patient is clean, making sure the bed is is, is changed properly, stuff like that. But then we have others that'll come in uh, as volunteers, and uh, they'll they'll spend several hours there. They'll uh, they'll sit with the patients so uh, the family can get out and, and run errands, do whatever needs to be done. 
you know, and, and that's what the churches, you know, uh, churches used to do. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's much anymore that um, uh, that that's done now. You know, I, I think the only thing that differs between the hospice and, and the pastor and the church is the fact that the hospice provides a medical care. Uh, you know, for for the for the patient, and uh, past past that, there's really not a whole lot of difference in what I do, and what you do, and, and, and what what pastors listening do on a regular basis. We, you know, we're there for our church members. We're there for our church members' families. You know, we walk through the, with them through this stuff. We uh, we encourage them. We laugh with them. We cry with them. Uh, you know, so so really, there there's not a lot of difference between the ministry that pastors have to their church families that I have. A lot of the families that I meet have no church home. Uh, praise the Lord, there are those that are actively involved. There's a lot of our patients that I never see because they have a very active pastor and church family. And, and so that pastor and church family sees them regularly so they don't feel like they need a, need a chaplain to come alongside them, which is fine with me as long as they've got that that spiritual care that they need from a from a pastor or from a church. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I was I was going to ask you. Uh, does now I'm, I know what you just said, but I'm speaking to you just simply as a hospice chaplain, not as a pastor. As a hospice chaplain, you go in. Uh, I mean, you you want if that person has a church, you want that those church members to come in, so encourage they don't interfere. It. Encourage it. Oh, absolutely. Interfere in any what? No. Okay. No. No, no, no. Absolutely encourage it. Uh, I've, I've got several patients that I, that I see on a regular basis that their pastor comes by two or three times a week. Uh, one patient, um, <laughs> the, wife, the wife says that, you know, sometimes it's kind of aggravating because he'll call like every couple of hours to check on them just to make sure that, that everything's okay and that they don't need anything. But uh, no, there, there's no, uh, I've not experienced any conflict between the church and the, and the hospice ministry. Amen. No. Oh, let, let's get a little personal. What do you say to someone who's died? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, what what does a visit to a hospice patient look like? Basically, just like um, just like you or any other pastor walking into a nursing facility and walking into a room or walking into a home to one of your church members that that um, has a terminal illness um, I, I walk in of course I, I, I speak with everyone that's there then I turn my focus on, on to my patient and check with them see how they're feeling ask them if there's any pain that I need to you need to know about to let the nurses know about uh, uh, talk with them in general just about how their days go and how things are going for them and uh, uh, then I then I spend some time talking with the, the the spouse or the family member that's taking care of uh, of that um, of that patient. Now you know it's it's different it's different when you're dealing with a Christian who's dying and a non-Christian who's dying. You know because that Christian understands, as Paul says in, in Colossians, that. Uh, that they're going to receive that hope which is laid up for them through Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, and um, uh, they they know that, that when this life here ends that they're going to a, 
uh, to a better place. You know, there's not going to be any more sickness, not going to be more death, you know, this stuff like that. And so it's easier, it's easier to, uh, to talk, talk with them about dying than it is a, a lost person. I have, I have one patient that uh, when I go into their house, um, we'll do all the niceties, you know, and, <coughs> and then uh, uh, when, I, when I turn to the, to the patient to begin to talk to them, uh, instantly the conversation goes to God in the Bible, instantly, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's, that's encouraging for me, and, and that's, that's, you know, really blesses my heart because, you know, here, here you have a person who's dying that knows that their life is short. Of course, none of us know how long life is going to, you know, last. Um, you know, we're not, we're not promised of tomorrow. The Bible says life is like a vapor that appears for a while and then it's gone. But uh, here you have a person that, that knows that, that their life, that terminal illness is, is going to end the, the life they have here on this earth before long. And, and immediately the, the first thing they want to talk about, they don't want to talk about the cancer. They don't want to talk about the COPD. They don't want to talk about the heart issues. They, they want to talk about God. Uh, they know that God is in control. They know that life and death is in God's hands. And, and they, they have that assurance to know that um, the hope that they've lived with for many years will be fulfilled when Christ calls them <laughs> out of this life. Amen. You know, and that's absolutely phenomenal to be able to talk to uh, patients and, and, and family members and, and family members who have come to the, uh, the place that they've accepted the understanding that I'm fixing to lose my mom, I'm fixing to lose my dad, I'm going to lose my sister, I'm going to lose my whatever, and, and, and yet they understand that this separation is going to be temporary. You know, it, it's not forever. Uh, because they know they're going to die one day, and uh, when they die, then them and that patient, whether it's mom, dad, sister, brother, whatever, they're going to be together for eternity. There'll be no more separation. And so that family member has come to the place where where they've accepted. I, I tell folks all the time: there's a difference in being in being prepared to die and ready to die. You know, I don't ask people if they're ready to die. I ask them if they're prepared to die. Because if I ask them if they're ready to die, you know, I'm prepared to die, but I'm not ready. I don't want to die today. I'm prepared if the day is my day of death, but I'm not ready. I don't want to catch the next train coming through town. <laughs> but if the Lord has me a seat on the next train, I'm prepared for that because of my relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what these patients and these families have come to understand, that, um, that, that if this life ends today, then they're going to they're going into the presence of God, and and uh, uh, that family member has that assurance that one day they'll see Him again. Now, with a non-Christian, um, it's um, it's different. I don't hesitate to ask every patient if they're prepared to die. Um, I don't I don't think that um, I, I don't think that it's there's anything wrong. Matter of fact, I think one of the spiritual concepts and aspects of the hospice ministry for the chaplain is is to help these patients spiritually. And there's no better help that I can give to a to a hospice patient than helping them to understand and know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Yeah. Uh, I walked in the door of one patient one day, and right off of the bat, this patient let me know. He said, "He said, number one, I'm not a Christian." 
He said, number two, he said, I'm not sure that there's a God. He said, I'm not sure that there's a heaven and I'm not sure that there's a hell. But he said, listen to me. He said, if there is a God and there is a place called heaven, I for sure am going there because I'm as good as anybody else. And he said, if there is a place called hell, he said, I ain't got to worry about that because I've never done anything worthy of being condemned to a place called hell. And my heart broke. My heart broke because um, this, this guy has a total misunderstanding about what, what heaven and hell is really like and who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and why they go to heaven, why they go to hell. You know, people don't go to heaven because they did good stuff. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23 says there was a whole lot of people that were religious standing before right. God. You know, and, and uh, Lord, we've cast out demons. We've prophesied your name. We've done all kind of good stuff. And yet Jesus said to them, I'm sorry, we have never been intimate. We don't have a relationship. And they were religious people. And, and, and so, you know, um, uh, talking with a, with a non-Christian is... Is so much is so much more um, discouraging to me uh, because a lot of times they don't want to talk Bible. A lot of times they don't even want you to pray with them. Uh, this one person that I went into his house, uh, you know, uh, really did not want me to pray with him the first time I went. But I've been back and I go back on a regular basis, and uh, he and I have become close, you know, and. Uh, uh, now he's he's more open to me praying. Matter of fact, if if I get up to leave and and I don't say, "May I pray?" He's a preacher. You gonna pray for him before I go? Are you gonna pray with him? You know. And so so there's Amen. sometimes you have to break some walls down. Yeah. You know, without being uh, without being forceful. And I, I I you can ask some of my friends. I used to be you know one of these bulls in a china shop. I used to would look him square in the eye and tell him, "Brother, just die and go to hell. I don't care." You know, but. Uh, but God has God has softened me, and God has uh, taught me that uh, that Paul, that's not the best way, and that's not the right way, and, and I've been able to experience that through through hospice ministry with some folks that aren't church involved. They don't know the relationship that they can have with God through His Son Jesus Christ. Uh, they don't have any kind of connection to a church anywhere, um, you know. So with a non-Christian, it's it's really different because I. Uh, I think I think there's I think there's times that you you talk about God and, and you you talk about salvation and Jesus is the only way to heaven, uh, but you don't push it. You, you try to to get into that person's sphere of uh, circle of friendship or whatever you want to call it, and and then you're able to to move in and talk with them more about that relationship that they made with with God through His Son. The only thing I hope and pray is that. You know, in that process, that that God, uh, God allows me time. You know, with that patient to be able to share the gospel message, to give them the opportunity. Uh, that's God's call, not my call. Yes. Uh, you, you know, uh, so sometimes relationship evangelism works the best. Absolutely, absolutely. You make a relationship with a person, and then you you use your friendship. To talk about Jesus, yeah, I used I used to Josh. I used to think that um, everybody you come in contact with, or right off of the bat, you just hit them with the gospel. But I've come to realize that that's not always that's not always the way it needs to be done. That's good, you know. That's, that's not always the way it needs to be done because because sometimes you need to you need to to let that person. Uh, what was the old saying? Uh, uh, 
some folks don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's right. You know, and, and so I, I think you have to build that camaraderie with that person to where they can uh, they can know that that you care more about them than just quote as a number on a or knock you on the belt or something like that. Yeah. You know, and so uh, God has really God has really uh, uh, showed me some things in that in that aspect that I've been able to use even in hospice ministry and, and trying to, to minister to the needs these families and, and, and the patients have. Well, I have found uh, relationship evangelism works very well among millennials, among young people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that they care more about the relationships that they build rather right. than, absolutely. you know, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, well, Marcel Davis says hello. And uh, hey, Miss Marcel, and then Caleb Fernandez is watching. Hello, brother Caleb, thank you for tuning in. Um, we're here talking with Pastor Paul Roney. Uh, help, uh, help with help in going home. Uh, a look, a Christian look at hospice ministry, and uh, and, and so we're, we're we're talking about how to be a blessing to those that are about to leave this earth. Uh, brother, brother Chase, I saw you come on a few minutes ago. Glad you're watching, also, my friend. Yeah, he, he didn't mention you. <laughs> oh my goodness! Your wife just just tuned in. Oh Marlene my! Roney. Oh my goodness! You got to watch what I say now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, brother Chase is watching. Hello, brother Chase. I'm glad you remembered that. Uh, it's not just senior adults that face death. Are there different ways to minister to various age groups? Are, are there different things you say uh, to to one group? Over over a senior adult, I, I know mostly you probably deal with senior adults, right? Most most of most of the patients that I've seen have been um, uh, not not all senior adults. But I, I've got I've never I've never had a, a child as a hospice patient. Um, I, I talked to several of our nurses today because I you know I never thought about a child being on hospice till till I till I saw this question, and and several nurses have have had. Uh, have had children, babies, uh, as patients, but I never have. But Josh, I, I think in dealing with the child, I think a lot of that would, would, for me, would have to do with the age, you know, and how I would deal with that patient, uh, that child. Uh, of course, I would always, you know, I would always keep the attention of the, the, the parents, the mom and the dad, the family. Um, but as far as talking to anybody about death, uh, I don't think I don't think there's there's one way for one person and one way for another person, because you know uh, we all die the same way, you know. And somebody said, "Wait a minute, brother Paul, he died." I'm talking about listen. Every one of us when we die, our heart stops beating, the blood <laughs> the blood stops pumping, and it's over. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter how old you are, or who you are, and so so um, uh, I, when it comes to talking to the different age groups, I I'm not. Now, some of these other pastors that are, that are more um, gifted than I will, may say, yeah, you, you talk to the different age groups different. Um, you know, with, with the young adults, I, I've had several young adults. I, you know, I've had patients uh, in their 40s and early 50s, and, you know, to me, that's a young adult when, I, when you get to the age that I'm at. Uh, but... Uh, um, I talk with them more about their interest and in what's going on in their lives right now, and and, uh, 
and we, we talk about things that, that really interest them. And, and, and you know, with the senior adults, uh, most of what we talk about is memories. You know, what, what they did in life. You know, uh, I love to, to visit uh, hospice patients who were veterans. Oh, yes. I, I love to talk to these guys uh, that, um, uh, that have, have served our nation in, in, uh, in wars around the world and have seen places, you know, because of that ability to, to serve. And, and we talk about that stuff and, and we talk about how God preserved them through that, uh, though they may have been in the middle of a war, though they may have been in a uh, situation that at any moment their life could have come to an end. And, and so I'm not really sure... I'm not really sure if, if, if I have developed different ways to deal with different age groups. Yes. That's just me. Well, I, you know, I was reading and researching for this uh, interview, I was reading that, uh, you know, a lot of times a, a child maybe that has cancer um, deals more with fear sure. than, than older adults. Uh, not that older adults don't deal with some kind sure. of fear, sure. but children deal with that fear differently and uh, anyway I, I was just wondering if you'd ever experienced anything like that I, honestly I have never um, hospice wise I've never dealt with a with a child who, who's suffering from cancer or, or you know other things that would be in, in their life now you know in, in other aspects I've dealt with children you know just in my ministry I've dealt with children that have been sick and and um, We've talked about the things like fear and other stuff like that, but you know, Josh, um, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that even even though a child is dying, especially if they come from a Christian home, if the, if they've been raised uh, properly, um, you know, even they understand the hope that they have as a child yes. because their parents have taught them that. Yes, you know, so so it's easier to minister to a to a child in a in a Christian home than I think it would be to a child in a non-Christian home. Mm -hmm. Dr. George, I remember a story Dr. George Truett told in one of his Easter sermons. Dr. George Truett was the uh, pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas before Dr. W. A. Criswell yeah. was there. Uh, Dr. Truett told the story about one of their First Baptist Dallas church members. Um, who had a daughter that was dying and he said if I remember the story right he said in uh, uh, that that the child cried out for her mother and said uh, uh, mama I'm so scared it's it's dark uh, and and she said to the to her dying daughter uh, just look for Jesus honey Jesus is in the dark as well as he is in the light. Amen. He will be there for you. And, uh, and and she, Amen. they started singing a hymn together, and and she sung her way into heaven. And that wow. uh, was just a real heartfelt, powerful story. Yeah. Uh, I, that I thought. Uh, is there anything? Now this this may may sound kind of, kind of humorous, but uh, you know, I I got to thinking. I have not dealing with dying people, but in my ministry, I have said some things to people I wish I wouldn't have said. So I, can I, I, I thought I'd ask this question: Is there anything <coughs> that you shouldn't say to someone who is dying? Well, you know, Josh, um, <laughs> your question on my paper says anything that you shouldn't say to a hospice patient. Right. 
my response to that was, is there anything that you shouldn't say to just any person who's dying? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've learned that one thing I never tell a person is that this is God's will for your life. Mm. You know, I, I've ne I never tell anybody that. That's good. Um, you know, my, my talking with them, my praying with them is, is helping them to remember and understand that um, life and death is in God's hands. God's in control of it. We don't know when death is going to take place. We don't know when death is going to happen. But as Christians, especially, if we trust God, if we believe that God is who God has said he is and able to do what he says he, he can do, then, then even the end of our life is entrusted to him. And so um, uh, I've had patients tell me, you know, Brother Paul, if this is if this is God's will for my life, then I then I'm ready for it. I I, I accept it. I've had family members tell me the exact same thing, and so I, you know, I, I think the one thing that I would never tell a patient or their family, well, this is God's will. You just got to accept it. You know, but past that, uh, I, I I probably could could think of other things that I would not say, but I think that's the biggest. I think sometimes we as pastors. We as ministers, um, we say things that you know. We, if we'd have thought about, we'd have probably never said. Yeah, you know. And uh, and I'm sure if 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 my memory was not as scorched as it is today, uh, because of all my old age, I'm sure I could probably go back somewhere and and, and recall where I said exactly that to uh, to somebody. Well, you know, this is this is God's will for your life. I hope and pray that I never have, you know. But uh, um, I, I'm just not I'm just not sure if, if that's a good thing to ever say to anybody. Well, you know, uh, this will go down a little bit of a theological road, and that's okay, I think. Uh, but I, something that I have said at funerals, and that I say to uh, to people who are sick in my ministry, is that. You know, we look at God sometimes like he's some old guy in the sky sitting on a seat and likes to throw down sickness every chance he gets. I'm going to give this person cancer today, and I'm going to give this person AIDS today, and I'm going to give this person a heart attack today. And I don't believe God does that. I, I, I think that we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world that affects every age differently. Right. Sometimes that sin nature just attacks a person who's born and they die all of a sudden uh, and doctors don't know why they call it sudden infant death syndrome yeah. but really it's it's sin that kills oh, and uh, you, you know it, it kills infants it kills small children it kills teenagers it kills young adults it kills senior adults and, and so I, I I just I don't personally believe that uh, and I've had some flack over this in my ministry. I I'm don't, sure. I don't personally believe that God uh, throws down sickness. Now I believe He looks at what sickness has done to our sin corrupted bodies, and especially for the Christian, He sees His child that's weary, that's suffering, and I believe He comes down at His time and takes them home. But I don't believe he strikes people with sickness. Well, I think God allows things to happen. Sure. You know, I think um, uh, you go back to the book of Job, you know, and uh, 
Uh, why, why was Satan able to do what Job, what he was able to do to Job? Simply because God gave him the permission. God allowed it to happen. Yes. You know, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying that God causes somebody to have cancer. I, I'm like you. I think because of this sin-ravaged body, uh, we experience things that had we still, had we still possessed the bodies of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, then, then it wouldn't be like that. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think that God, uh, I don't think that God has his his finger pointed at at uh, Brother Chase and says, Brother Chase, you're going to you're going to have cancer. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Or or Marlene, you're you're going to you know suffer with COP. I don't, I don't believe that God does that. But I do believe that God allows things to happen in our lives for whatever reason. It may be cancer. It may, it may be. Uh, you know, I had a nephew that at the age of 17 was killed instantly by a drunk driver. Hit him head on and killed him. And, uh, you know, uh, I had a preacher friend that said, well, well, God had nothing to do with that. Uh, I believe God allowed it to happen. I believe that, I believe that even though everything they said about Chad, uh, medically, there was no way he could, he could live. I believe had God wanted Chad to live, I don't care what happened to him in that wreck, he would have lived. Amen. But God allowed allowed that to happen, and He called Chad home that night. Uh, I don't believe God. Um, uh, I don't. I don't believe God. Um, God made that happen, but I do believe that God allows those things to happen. Yes, sir. Um, how how does uh, ministering to a dying person? Uh, affect the person that's doing the minister. In other words, how has your job uh, as a hospice chaplain, chaplain affected you? Uh, I've heard this job isn't for everyone. I never dreamed that I'd be doing this. Okay? Um, just out of the blue one day someone called me and asked me if, if, if I thought I might be interested. I asked them, let me pray about it, let me talk to my church. And uh, <coughs> For me it's been very rewarding. At the same time, there's been some patients that I've gotten very close to. Um, there was an older gentleman out in Bassfield. Uh, Marlene and I went to visit uh, him and his wife and took my grandbaby out there because the, the wife had been wanting to, to meet Marlene. And, and, and so we went out there, and, and I was very close to, to that man. Uh, not just hospice chaplain and, and, and patient, but we became friends. Uh, we became friends, and uh, uh, going in and, and watching him go from from being able to sit in his chair in his living room and, and carry on a decent conversation with me to to being in a hospital bed and not even recognizing who I am that that's tough. Yes, sir. that's tough. And so um, uh, I, I think it's I think it's like you've experienced as a, as a pastor and other pastors have experienced. You know, we've got church members. We love all of our church members, and we're going to be there for all of our church members. But let's be honest: there are certain church members that we're closer to than others. Sure, you know it doesn't mean that we don't love the others. But when something happens to those that uh, that we're the really close to, it just affects us differently than it does if it's if it's you know uh, if it's a church member that we're not real close to, and, and so. Um, it, it meant it affects it affects me uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, when I when I walk out of a house with a patient and 
you know that that patient's time on, on this on this earth is not is not much longer. You know, you can tell by by their breathing, by their actions, and stuff like that. And and so you you walk out sometimes, and uh, if if I'm not real careful, I'd walk out very depressed. And and so you're right; it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Um, but uh, it's it's a very rewarding ministry for me i do get to share a lot of scripture and i do get to encourage a lot of folks and i do get to share the gospel and i do get to pray with a lot of people that um and they they don't they don't have anybody come by and pray with them talk to them about god and and uh, it's just it's, it's it affects it affects me I, I can't really explain it but uh it just it affects me especially when i get close to them I, I had I was with my grandmother and my mother when they left here, and uh, that was tough. Uh, that, that was really tough. I don't know. Uh, now I've been with church members uh, that that have have left here, went home to be with the Lord, uh, and that's been my honor to do that. But it, it wasn't it wasn't like my mother and my grandmother. That's right, and. Uh, you know, I just don't know that I could do that on a daily basis. Uh, my heart would tell me, yeah, you can minister to anybody, but my, my mind would tell me it, it would be tough. Yeah. I remember I remember a couple of years ago, it, it, may, it may have been a little over two years ago, I went to, to make a hospice visit. And uh, when I got in the home, um, the patient and I, got to talk and the, the daughter-in-law was there. They were She was living with her son and daughter-in-law and, and um, the patient I got to talking and uh, she was a retired nurse from University Medical Center in Jackson. And uh, she, uh, she sure shared with me that she used to work for this certain doctor. And I told her, I said, well, you know, I said in 1968, that doctor did surgery on me. She said, really? I said yes, ma'am. Said uh, said he did he did surgery on me. She in nineteen sixty eight. She said, uh, did you stay in the hospital? I said yes, ma'am. I stayed in the hospital a couple of weeks, ma'am. She said I was your nurse. She said I was his surgical nurse. I took care of all of his patients after service. Hmm. And so we begin to talk about different aspects of of, of that surgery and, and stuff. And and you know, instantly she became very special to me. And uh, and so you know when they when they they called me or they shoot me, they shot me a text and said that she had passed. You know, it affected me. Uh, it affected me because there was a special spot in my life that she was a part of. And a time that I, you know, that I, though I was only 13 years old at the time, I, I still, I still look back and appreciate what she done because I, I know what, what I went through, you know, as a 13 year old. And so it affects you. Uh, it affects you in different ways. It's just a lot of times it's according to who the patient is. Uh, I've, I've, I've had one patient that just, uh, this patient was just mean. I mean, he's just mean and nothing you did or nothing you said would satisfy, satisfy that patient, you know, but, but you have to love them just like you do the rest of them. You know, and, and uh, I don't mean this to sound ugly and please don't judge me, but you know, when they shot me a text and told me he had, he had passed, it didn't affect me like it like it does with some others. Yeah, you know, and so uh, uh, it, it it affects you. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, 
Again, we're talking with Pastor Paul Roney on this subject, Helping Those to Go Home, a Christian Look at Hospice Ministry. I want to jump back. Uh, and by the way, uh, get ready to ask any questions that you may have uh, for Brother Paul or make any comments that you have at the end. And also get ready to hear about our upcoming Reviving the Passion of Pe Preaching Conference uh, happening in just five weeks. Going to have some special things, and uh, we're going to tell you all about it in just a few few moments. I want to jump back, though, something you know that I thought about uh, in addition to our conversation about God allowing uh, things to happen. I think we need to remember God no longer intends us to stay on this planet. No, thank goodness. Yes. So, I, I mean, it, it, uh, it may be hurtful to us emotionally to have to say, you know, goodbye to our loved ones. But as Christians, we know that our goodbye is temporary. Absolutely. And, and, and because it's God's will. The reason why he, we've got to remember, well, the reason why God allows this, all these things to happen to us, God does not intend for any of you, me, you, to stay here. He intends to bring us home. The only way to do that is to get out of these bodies Amen. and go to heaven. <laughs> so uh, unless the rapture happens, we're, right. we're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to go home. That's right. Um, are there any Bible passages specifically that encourage, that you like to use, that encourage hospice patients? You know, Josh, if, if I was talking if I was talking to a Christian and they really understood that, you know, that God was in control and you know, I I've used Romans eight twenty eight, you know, we know that all things work together for the good and the love of the Lord now. You know, right now we, we don't see and understand the good, you know, but um, but the Bible says that, that God uses all these things, you know, for our good. Um you know, first scripture that talks about um, you know the struggles and the trials, the struggles that we face. Um, they, God uses them to strengthen our faith and our patience. You know, and so there's some passages of scripture that I use uh, uh, quite frequently, talking about um, uh, how God is in control and what God is doing in the midst of the. Of the struggles, you know, um, James, you know, count it all joy when you fall, not if you fall, but when you fall, and uh, you know, helping them to understand that even in the midst of the strongest storms of life, God is still. I love that song that the McKamey sing. You know, the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Yeah, you know, and so uh, uh, just just use different scripture to encourage them to uh, to just continue trusting God. For a, for a non-Christian, uh, you know, it's harder. It's harder to use Scripture to encourage them because uh, they don't they don't accept Christ. They, you know, they're not a Christian. They don't they don't really believe that God is in control of everything. And so it's harder to talk with them about that uh, than it is to a, to a Christian. Um. How can you talked a little bit about this? But can you go into a little bit more specifics? How can how do you minister to the family of a hospice patient? I love that. Um, I spend a lot of time. Several of my patients that I have uh, cannot verbally carry on the conversation. Um, 
they may be awake, they may be alert, but they really can't, they're at a place to where they can't carry on a conversation. So, you know, I'll stand beside their bed and talk with them and, and they'll nod and they'll try to answer me, but they're not able to. And, and then I'll spend time visiting with the patient's family, talking with them about, you know, what's going on with the patient, how are they doing. Uh, Josh, one of the way that, ways that I ministered, Marlene, put your fingers in your ears. Uh, one of the ways that I minister to my families is um, uh, I take stuff to them. Uh, I've got one patient that told me one time he wanted a chocolate cake, so I baked him a chocolate cake and took it to him. Um, you know, I uh, this one patient that I'm thinking of, he's, he's, he's deceased now, a great guy, good Christian guy. Um, I used to take him uh, deer sausage. You know, I'd take him deer sausage, and uh, uh, he loved it. You know, he appreciated it. Um, his wife didn't really care about deer sausage, so so I would take her a T-bone steak. You know, um, I ministered to families, you know, I, I ministered to families like that, doing things for them that, you know, they may not be able to do for themselves right now, you know, just little things. Um, I, I went to one patient's house here a while back, and, uh, the mother's appetite had not been good. Uh, the patient's appetite had not been good, wasn't eating well. And when I walked in that day, uh, the patient was eating really well. And she was eating some little crab cakes. And so uh, uh, I left and I went to the store and I bought a couple of extra boxes of those crab cakes because she was eating them so well. And uh, took them back, you know, to the house and gave them, gave them to the to the daughter, you know, to, to make sure mom, you know, if she likes these things, let's feed them to her. Yeah. You know, and so there's there's little things like that. Um, uh, just this week, I took a, a air-conditioned window unit to a, to a patient to their house. Um, you know, just, just things like that to measure them to, you know, let them know I'm, I'm not just, I don't just care about... Uh, being there for the sick person. I want to help you as a family. What can I do to, to help you get through this? What is it in your life you need? Uh, do you do you need an air conditioner in your window, in your window to help cool the house down? Uh, you know, um, uh, are you getting these, these what I call special meals, you know, steak and baked potato? Uh, I love to go over here to an ad for the little butcher shop. I, I love to go over here to a little butcher shop and they've got those stuffed potatoes. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll go over there and, I, and I'll buy a couple of packs of those and I'll take them to, to one of my patients. He's an Army veteran. And uh, uh, man, when I walk in with that bag, there's a big old smile breaks out on his face, you know, because it's something he enjoys eating. And so I'm able to measure. But I always take enough for the, for the wife and, you know, the son who, sure. who lives there with him also uh, to help him. So, you know, there's different ways that I minister to the family. Um, I... Um, I just, I just love to do stuff for other people. Yeah. You know. Amen. And and so, um, the family. You can tell when the family appreciates you doing those little things. You know. Sure. And so, uh, so I, I love to minister to them, in, in ways of like giving to them and helping them. You know. Uh, um, you know this this guy that wore the chocolate cake. You know. Uh, he probably wasn't able to eat more than two or three bites, you know. But that didn't matter. I still took him a whole, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His wife appreciated it, you know. She, you know, uh, she'll uh, 
I ask him, I, I'll say, is there anything you need or anything you want? And I'll be standing beside the bed, and he'll kind of raise up and look over at her because she's telling him, don't you ask him for a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and so I'll, I'll stand over, and I'll block his vision, her vision for, from him. Yeah. And I'll say, no, don't pay her no attention. You tell me if you want. <laughs> you know, so there's different ways you minister to families. Uh, it just, you know, it, it does me good to see them when, when they break out into a smile, the family, for what you've done for the patient, what you're doing for the patient, but also what you're doing for them. You know, uh, there, there, when, when my grandmother got older, she had home health. She never had hospice, but she had home health. And there was a godly, wonderful lady, uh, a home health nurse. Her name was Saritha. And I'll never forget Saritha. Saritha became part of our family. Yeah. She yeah. would come there uh, two, three times a week. She would yeah. bathe my grandmother. She would do my grandmother's hair. She would, uh, she would also bring us stuff. She was real special. So that kind of thing does. I mean, yeah. me, I'm the grandchild. I, I can't forget Saritha, you know. That's right. Uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm sure that family will never forget you. That is rewarding. That's a blessing. Um, let's go a little bit of a different direction. I, 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 you know, we don't skip the tough questions. I want to handle a couple of uh, controversial things, uh, as controversial as you can get talking about hospice ministry. Uh, do you believe that, that the decline in American churches has caused a greater fear of death among, among people? No. No, I don't. I, Josh, um, I, I would dare say that the majority of people never consider death because because most folks think that well you know it's not going to happen to me you know and, and so no I don't I don't think the decline in the American churches has caused a greater fear of death because I, I really I really you know several things number one uh, I think there's a lot of folks that that do not believe that that death will ever touch them. Number two, there's, there's, uh, I think there's a number of folks out there that um, uh, may may believe that they're going to die one day, but it's going to be when they're 105 years old. You know, it's not it's not possible at the age of 30 or 40 or 50. And and so no, I don't I don't think it's caused a greater fear because I I think I've come to to understand myself that 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 most folks most folks don't even think about dying. They don't even consider the fact that that they may die. Uh, I mean, you take these teenagers that get in these cars and uh, you know they leave their house and uh, they think they'll return home in two or three hours after they go and do what they want to do, and and yet something happens and, and they have an automobile accident and they're killed. They they never considered that that could happen to them, you know. And so no, I, I don't think the decline in American churches has caused a greater fear. Do you think there is a greater fear of death today than maybe it was, let's say, 10, 20, 50 years well, ago? What do you mean by fear of death? The, the fear of dying or how yes, they die? A, or? a fear of death itself. Uh, I got got this question uh, in my mind from, from, from an article that I read. I believe it was, uh, uh, well, I, I don't want to say where it was from because I may not be right in my memory. But anyway... Uh, I, I read an article, a news article that's, that specifically talked about how because uh, there are less people going to church today, there are less people that believe in God in the American culture today, and because uh, we have less people going to church and less people who have a fear of God, 
then in turn we have a greater fear of death because of course Christian, the Christian faith gives people a comfort in death whereas the atheist don't have that comfort uh, or the you know the, the, the lost person doesn't have that comfort anyway that was just in the article and I yeah. was just wanting to get your thoughts on uh, on that I honestly again I, I don't I don't believe that uh, that is it has caused a, a a greater fear of death because I, you know, uh, I just um, I just don't believe that that many people ever sit. I, I think when people begin to think about death, um, let's go back to nine eleven. Okay, let's go back to nine eleven. Uh, after after that event took place in New York, uh, the reports were churches were full all across America. Okay, mm -hmm. that event brought to the forefront possibilities that could take place anywhere in America. Mm -hmm. But after several weeks or months or whatever, that thought disappeared, and people went back to living life just like they always did. You know, and so I think in the normalcy of life, most people don't consider death. Sure, but you have an event like that take place. And all of a sudden, people realize, whoa, wait, that could have happened in New Orleans, or that could have happened in, in, in Nashville, sure. or that could have happened in, in Miami, or, you know, and, and so uh, at that point, we, we all begin to think about our mortality, but uh, my nephew, case in point, um, man, I can't tell you how many teenagers uh, came to that funeral home and to that funeral. And, and, and man, they were heartbroken at what had happened to Chad, and and the the uh, the understanding was that that drinking alcohol will cause things to happen that you never thought will happen, but six months after after Chad had died, they were all right back to doing the same thing, you know. So no, I don't think there's a greater fear of death. Uh, I think we consider death when uh, when you're sitting by the bedside of your grandmother and she's dying, you talk, you think about death. When you sit beside the, uh, the bed of, a, of your mom or your dad or a friend or a church member, they're dying, then you may think about death. Uh, but I think, I think past all of that, I don't, I don't think most folks ever really consider on a regular basis or even in depth an understanding that they are going to die. You know, I mean, for us as Christians, I, I believe we've accepted Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto man once to die. The reality is everybody's going to die unless Christ raptures his church. Yes, you know, and uh, very few folks have ever gotten out of this life alive. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, and uh, very few folks are going to get out of this life I, I think you bring up a good point. I, I mean, uh, there, there's always been lost people. Well, Absolutely. And every now and then, every person <coughs> will think about death at some point in their life. Yeah. And, and a lost person, naturally, no matter if it was 50 years ago, no matter if it was 100 years ago, and no matter if it's today, a lost person has a fear that a Christian doesn't have. Sure, absolutely. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. And, and so, uh, you know, that's always been. So I, 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 would, I would say I agree with you that, uh, that, that it hasn't changed. It, it's the same same effect. What I'm trying to say, it, it would have been the same effect 50 years ago as it is today. Uh, the next one, uh, I experienced this in college. This is a personal question. I had a hospital ministries class in college. And um, 
I know you're not supposed to argue with your teachers, but I had a big <laughs> problem with something that he said. My instructor taught in that class one night. We were in there. He said, you should never share the gospel with a person who is sick in the hospital or that is dying. And uh, I, I said, man, then, then what, what is our calling? And so I, I had a big problem with that. And I wanted to ask, what is your response to his view of the work of the chaplain being only that of encouragement and never evangelistic? I disagree with it. I disagree with it. Um, you know, Scripture tells us that um, if, if we don't warn the wicked of his wicked ways, if they die in their sin, the blood will be held accountable at our hands. And so I, I think we have, uh, I think at, at, at that point in a person's life uh, where they're going through an illness or, or, or they're, they're progressing toward death, uh, I think one of the most important things that as pastors or preachers or ministers or as chaplains that we can do, I think one of the most important things is to is to talk with them about their relationship with God because they're going to spend eternity in, in, in uh, some place. It's going to be heaven or hell. There's, all, there's only two options. And, and the only way you're going to spend eternity in heaven is through a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ and if you don't have that you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell right. now somebody says well Brother Paul you know I'm not really sure how I feel about deathbed conversions well how do you feel about the thief on the cross <laughs> Amen. you know I mean you talk about a deathbed uh, conversion you know Jesus said today thou shalt be with me in paradise what was that that was a, a deathbed conversion that guy was going to die on that cross but Jesus said you're going to heaven with me Amen. You know, and so um, I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I, I think we have to be an encourager. Uh, I think we have to encourage people. But I think um, uh, I read something somewhere. I don't remember whose book it was in, but it talked about a river flowing. And, and, and once that, that river passes by you, you'll never get the opportunity to see that part of the river again. You know, and if, if we let opportunities flow past us, we may never get that opportunity again. Right. You know, and so so I think I think we need to be an evangelistic encourager. Yes. Yeah, not not doubting that ministry in the hospital and ministry to hospice patients is encouragement. But That's right. if if they don't trust Jesus, what use is the encouragement? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, Josh, I've, I've come to the place where even though I may know somebody pretty well, um, if, they're, if they're sick unto death, I'm still going to talk to them about their relationship with the Lord. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of folks that sit on our pews on a regular basis that are going to die and go to hell. Yes, sir. You know, and, and so uh, I, I, want, I want them to be assured, but I also want to be assured, you know, that, that I'll see this person and spend eternity with them again. You sure. know, so no, I, I disagree with that professor completely. Amen. Uh, you've talked a little bit about ministering to a lost person, how hard it is, but specifically, how, how can you minister to someone who is dying that refuses to accept Christ as their Savior? Well, I think it's like I said a while ago, uh, with, especially with this one patient, uh, you have to develop some camaraderie with them. You know, they, they have to know that, they, that you care more about them than just uh, them being a Christian, you know. And so, um, 
uh, with this particular patient, uh, he, um, uh, he used to own a computer store and he still does some work on computers. So we were talking one day and um, uh, this was like the second visit or something, I don't remember. And uh, we were talking about computers and I said, well, I've got three or four old computers that I need to get rid of. Would you like to have them? He said, man, I'd love to have them. So I took them to him. You know, and so I began to, to show him that I was interested. Uh, he, he, he does artwork. He, he does freehand drawing. Uh, uh, and so uh, <coughs> I've taken him some of those little canvases that, that you draw on. I, I bought him some, uh, uh, some of that chalk that you use for, for, for that. I bought him a can of that spray that you spray over that chalk to keep it from wiping off. You know, and so um, I think you have to, if somebody is, is not a Christian and, and they don't really want to talk about God, they don't want to talk about the church, they, they really could care less about it, I think you have to build some kind of a, a trust factor there. Uh, and then uh, uh, I, I feel like the time is coming where I'm going to be able to talk to him you know, about the Lord, about that relationship. Um, talk to him about the reality of a place called heaven, the reality of a place called hell. You know, somebody said, well, Brother Paul, what if you can't convince him that there's a, that there's a heaven? Well, uh, here's what I'll probably tell him. If I live all of my life and I die and there's no place called heaven, what have I lost? But if you live all of your life and you die and you find out that there is a place called hell, <laughs> what have you lost? Yeah. You know? Yes, well, uh, we're going to ask uh, Pastor Paul one more question, and then we're going to give you the opportunity, our Facebook audience, if you have any questions or anything you'd like to say to Brother Paul, uh, please get those ready. In fact, you can go ahead and ask them, and I'll see them pop up on the screen. I'll write your question down, and we'll be able to ask that for you. Uh, so please go ahead right now. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask them live right here at Reviving the Passion of Preaching Ministries, and we will be glad to answer you. Or if you have a comment, you just want to say hello, we would love to hear from you. So go ahead and make those comments and ask those questions right now. Uh, Brother Paul, is there anything further that you'd like to say about hospice ministry or about uh, ministering to someone who's getting ready to leave this world? Josh, I would encourage families. Um, I would encourage families not to be afraid of hospice. Um, there, there's a stigma about hospice that, that people have. Uh, when you go to talking about hospice, uh, you know, the first thought, the first thought is that, you know, this is a ministry to, or, or this is an organization, or this is a whatever to help me die. And the reality is that's not, that's not what it is. The hospice is a ministry to help you maintain a quality of living, a quality of life that, um, uh, will carry you. Uh, we 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 we've had a patient for five years on hospice, you know, and, and uh, uh, so it's 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 not just it's not just about dying, but it's doing everything that we can uh, to uh, to help you deal with what you're dealing with, uh, whether you're the patient or whether you're the family. When when you begin to when, when the hospital, the doctor begins to talk to you about hospice, please understand that you have the right to choose the hospice that you want. Uh, hospitals in our area do not offer opportunities 
for other hospices. They have their own hospices and automatically they put you on that hospice. That's against the law. They're supposed to give a list out that you can choose the hospice you want. So don't just jump on the first hospice just because somebody tells you that's what that's the one you need. Consider the hospice ministry. Uh, research the different hospices and see see who you feel like you fit best with. Uh, don't don't be afraid of hospice. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody about hospice care for your for your loved one. Um, I, I'm amazed at how how much people appreciate what hospice has been able to do that they never thought they'd be able to get through this time, you know, dealing with what they're dealing with. If it had not been for hospice, the aides, the, the nurse, the social worker, the, the chaplain or whoever, and uh, I've had families tell me that, you know, if it had not been for y'all, I really don't know how I could have handled all this. Uh, well, uh, you must have answered everybody's questions because I don't see any, anybody asking anything, but I see Laurie Caston is tuned in. Hello, Laurie. Thank you for tuning in and watching. Um, or I uh, confused them all till they just don't know what to ask. That's right. <laughs> uh, but I, I did realize <laughs> I, I missed one. Do you have any testimonies that you can share? I know you shared uh, one, but uh, uh, and maybe any others that you, you could share about a person who was about to pass away you were with them? Um and help really help them, really minister to them. Josh, um, I've not I've not had the privilege of leading anybody to the Lord um, that um, that uh, was actively dying. Now there was one patient that I that I had that um, when I went to when I went to visit him the first time on my eval visit, um, he was he was very sick and. Um, he, he had been dis, disenchanted with the church. And so we were able to talk um, uh, about his relationship. And he, he didn't really know if, if, if he had a relationship or not. So, so I was able to walk him through some scripture and help him understand what it meant to know that you're saved. You know, because, you know, people say, well, you can't know. Well, the Bible says you can know. You know, First John says, "My little children, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have everlasting life." So I don't hope I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Amen. You know, was the old song say, I, "I, you know, I was there when it happened." You know? <laughs> I guess I so, ought to know. So I ought to know. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I, I helped this guy walk through a process where he, where he was able to come to grips with a decision that he made uh, when he was a younger adult. Uh, considering salvation and so we prayed and we talked about scripture the next several times that I that I visited him but he was one of those patients that I lost in a very quick quick fashion and so uh, I feel like I feel like that, that I was a real encouragement with him Amen. Uh, walking walking up to that point that point of dying but uh, uh, with hospice I, I've not uh, I've not led anyone to the Lord you know at that point now in my, just in my ministry I have Talking with folks that didn't know, but they knew they were dying, and, and they needed to, they needed to make sure they wanted to make sure. And so, here's 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 what I tell people. And I, I could be wrong. Some of you preacher guys can correct me. I tell folks all the time. Listen, if you do not know for sure that you're a Christian, the thing that I would encourage you to do 
is to get on your knees and ask Jesus Christ to come to your heart and save you and settle that thing right there. Settle Amen. it right there. You know, get it, get it done. You know, I, I, my wife, uh, 35 years, knows knows that I love her and uh, knows that it was it was a very special thing when uh, when I asked her to marry me. You know, 36 years ago, 37 years ago, whatever. But she also knows that that that's not the most important decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. You know, the most important decision you ever make in your life is, is you know, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Amen. You know, and so that's that's what I would say to anybody listening. You know, make sure that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior because life is so uncertain. Uh, a friend of mine's brother-in-law this morning was working on a lawnmower and uh, I'm sure that he woke up this morning and decided to go into his day doing the things he had to do never thinking that his life would come to an end you know but early this morning he was working on a lawnmower had it up on some blocks and uh, as he was working on it somehow or another the blocks came out and the lawnmower came down and crushed him and he died you know I mean we don't know we, none of us know that that we're going to have an after a while, much less a tomorrow, you know. So, so make sure. I, I love, uh, I love what some of my preachers' friends say when they preach it. Make sure that you and John, Don Wilton was one of the, the greatest about this. Make sure that you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, because that's really all that matters in this life. Amen. If you're watching and you don't know whether you're going to heaven or not, you don't know whether you're saved or not. Maybe you know uh, if you died right now, you know you wouldn't go to heaven. Trust Christ before it's too late. Amen. Uh, just repent of your sins. Ask God to forgive you. <coughs> Ask Him to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Amen. a promise. Amen. And, and so we encourage you to trust Jesus uh, before before it is forever too late. Well, Brother Paul, thank you. Well, uh, thank you for us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, those of you that tuned in. Appreciate you listening. Hope that we said or did something that would encourage you or help you as, as you may face these decisions in your life. And uh, if we can ever be of assistance, don't hesitate to give us a call. That's what we're for. Uh, whether I'm your pastor or not your pastor and you need some, some help and encouragement, just don't hesitate to call Richburg Baptist Church and tell them you need to talk to Brother Paul. Amen. Um, now, Brother Paul, I, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. But listen, don't anybody go anywhere. Uh, after the prayer, we're going to talk about our upcoming Reviving the Passion of Preaching Conference. You will want to hear what's going to go on at this conference. There's going to be some great preaching, great singing, great special events. We're going to talk about all of that in just a moment. Uh, so stay with us, okay? But Brother Paul, right now, uh, you know, there's people out there that may be watching this, maybe that are on hospice, maybe they're uh, about to leave this world, and uh, maybe there's pastors out there, and uh, boy, they're brokenhearted because right now one of their church members is, is about to go home. Uh, you know, there may be a family member out there that uh, is losing a loved one or about to lose a loved one. Uh, will you just say a prayer for, for all these folks and, uh, and their churches and, uh, yes. and their families? Sure, let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for the privilege, first of all, of being able to come to you in prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, as we approach your throne that, that, God, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. Lord, I pray on behalf of all of these that, um, that are listening, Father, and, and, and even those that are listening, 
Lord, I, I pray that if there's one person out there tonight that's hurting, Lord, somebody that's dealing with end-of-life issues, somebody that's dealing with a mom or a dad or a family member father that's uh, facing death imminently, Lord, I just pray that you would just wrap your arms of love around them and encourage them. Send somebody to them, God, that can walk with them during this time, that can lift them up, pray for them, pray with them, encourage them. Father, I pray for pastors like Brother Josh and uh, Brother Chase and, and others, Lord, uh, uh, my, my dear friend, Dr. Dean Register, Dean Stewart, uh, uh, Stephen Smith, and, and pastors all across this great state and around the world, Father. People really do not realize all that a pastor deals with in a day's time. And God, I pray for these brothers. I pray for strength. I pray for, uh, God, the wisdom that they need as, as they deal with issues uh, in the church, Lord. I pray as they deal with contrary church members that you'd give them the wisdom, Father, of, of, of being able to, uh, to be loving and compassionate and, and kind, even, even though somebody's being contrary. Lord, I, I pray for their preparation time as they get ready to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim uh, your message. God, I pray for wisdom from above that they can, uh, Father, say what you would have them to say and uh, be what you'd have them to be, Father, as they preach or teach your word. Now, God, we know that you have a purpose and a plan for every person's life. Scripture tells us that before the very foundations of the world, you, uh, you had our lives mapped out, God. And I pray that as we go through this thing called life, God, as we deal with the struggles and uh, the, the blessings, the good times, the bad times, Father, that through it all, God, we would learn how to lean on you, how to trust you in, in, in the storms of life and in the and the sunshines of life. God, I, I pray that um, that you would give us the ability. Well, Father, whether we're ministers or not, just, just as Christians, help us to understand how to be loving and compassionate to people that we come in contact with. You never know what a person is dealing with that you come in contact with on a daily basis. They may be hurting. They may need somebody just to wrap an arm around them and tell them that they love them. God, help us to be that aware of the need that we have to be loving and compassionate to other people. Father, I thank you for Brother Josh and the ministry that you've given him here at Oklahoma Baptist Church. I pray your richest blessings upon this fellowship, Lord, as they seek, Father, to be a lighthouse throughout this community. Give them uh, the wisdom that they need, Lord, to do the right thing the right way. Thank you for Brother Josh and the, uh, the ministry that you put on his heart 11 years ago, Father, this reviving the passion of preaching ministries. Thank you for the encouragement he gives to pastors and preachers all over this state. And Father, I pray your continued blessings upon him as he continues to lead this ministry. God, we look forward to what you're going to do this, this next month as we meet together for the conference there at Richburg Baptist Church. We pray, Father, more than anything that your will be done. We pray these things in the precious holy name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Paul.